0: Hey, I'm Tom Power. I'm the host of the show, Q, with Tom Power. Uh, On the show, we talk to all kinds of uh, actors, writers, painters, I mean, big names you might have heard of. Like we had James L. Brooks talking about The Simpsons, Jada Pinkett-Smith talking about Tupac. And on our show, artists go a little deeper than they might go elsewhere. I mean, the guys from Blue Rodeo kind of said that. We only talk about our relationship when we come on this show. (laughs) We've done it damagingly and we've done it positively. Listen to Q with Tom Power wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is Arts Educators Save the World, where successful artists and their mentors talk about how arts education transformed their lives. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back, Alec. Welcome back, listeners. Welcome back, me. It's been a minute, and we are delighted to bring you this bonus episode of Arts Educators Save the World. We couldn't resist checking in with you all one more time before the end of the year. In preparation for us to generate season two, we wanted to close out the year with a little bit of talky talk. Some questions from you some questions from my dear, dear friend, Alec. And I want to start with an activity that I love to do in all of my classes. It is a form of assessment, meaning evaluating what people have learned. And I use it as a way to bring arts-based practices into the assessment of learning. I've adapted it from a group called Harvard Project Zero, They have a fantastic website with lots of different practices designed to get students beyond the good job nature of responding to people's art. So our instinct, as it should be, when somebody makes something vulnerable, something that maybe they took a risk in making, is for us to say, good job, we love it. And while everyone likes that kind of positive validation, it doesn't really help us take our work to the next level. So how do we generate conversation and give people responses that help them move their work along? One of the ways we can do that is with these kinds of assessment practices. This is one that I have in my book. It's one that I use a lot. And here's how it works. Students respond to a piece of art that could be anything from a short film to a comic by answering four prompts. Alec and I are each going to answer these four prompts with respect to our time in Arts Educators Save the World. Alec, you're going to go first. I'm going to give you a prompt, and then I'm going to ask you to respond. What is something that you have noticed about our work in Arts Educators Save the World?
0: Well, first of all, I want to say about that introduction you just did, Erica. Good job. (laughs)
1: <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But give me feedback. Tell me how I can make it better.
0: <laughs> it's impossible. I noticed I noticed gratitude, overwhelming gratitude from these guests. We always talked about in preparing to make this show. And when we talked to guests about coming on, we said, really, we just kind of want a love fest. Like we just really want to put something good out into the world. We're not looking for controversy here in any way whatsoever. We just want to give people a space to enjoy their time together. What we had also talked about is the fact that, especially celebrities, are so often just asked about themselves and asked about their movie they just made, the TV show they just made, and they kind of have to say the thing that they say to everyone. And sometimes you go a little deeper. But I think it was a relief for them to be asked Mm. to talk about someone else. I think they were grateful for the question... They were grateful to be able to do this, and then just obviously so grateful to these teachers who, This it was not an act, right? We have people talking to us from anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours about how grateful they were for their mentors, and it was wonderful to hear.
1: That is lovely. And I will share that something I noticed was in listeners' responses to the work, that Everyone I spoke to had their own favorite and had their own reason for having a favorite. I talked to a lot of folks who are big Steffi Rossi fans (laughs) and were really inspired by the way she used traditional, more formal, school-based structures to transform students' experiences and to center art making as a practice and a process that was valid and valued for everyone. But, you know, I also talked to a lot of folks where the Lin-Manuel, Miranda, Robert Lopez, Barbara Ames combo was their favorite, possibly for obvious reasons, which is that they are both extremely successful Mm -hmm. and brilliant artists and composers. But I think also because of the specialness of the relationship that they have both had with each other and with Barbara for such an extended period of time. And then I've talked to folks who said, nah, my favorite was Faisal and Fraser because yeah. the dynamic between them and the ways in which they could articulate how each other's work framed what was possible for them really inspired me to think about my own work. So my noticing was around the feedback and the responses that I was getting to exactly the, the kind of gratitude and the, and the framing that you described. So that's the noticing. All right. The second- I
0: think we did a good job on that, by the way.
1: I think I, okay. So we're allowed to do a good job. We're allowed to have gold stars, <laughs> but we all know we're great, right? right and so okay, yes. what else can we do? What else? Yeah. So the second prompt is, what is something that you felt as a result of our time together so far in Arts Educators Save the World?
0: Yeah, that's an easy one. I feel very lucky. I feel very lucky that the right person told the right person the right thing and I wound up in the school that I wound up in, that I wound up at Hunter and I got to have that experience where students were so empowered to create art, to create theater almost on their own uh, at times, but with such incredible support from Miss Ames and then from everyone in high school and then moving on to college where I also I went to Wesleyan and it was a place where as hopeful artists budding artists we were given also an immense amount of freedom resources time so that as a theater major I wasn't just someone who was studying a lot of stuff I was I was making I was making work from First semester freshman year to second semester senior year, to hear people's responses also to the show who have said, how, wh- "What are you talking about? What are you talking about with this with this ability to do art in school? We have art for fifteen minutes. We're going to talk about this in a little bit." There are schools that just don't have this. We had an, an art teacher for all of elementary school. We had an art room. We went to an art room. We went to a music room. We went to and I went to a dance room for a while. We have, also had a nurse. Schools don't have nurses. I have found out. Uh, I didn't know this was not a thing, but so lucky. I feel very lucky that I was exposed to all of this very young. And it has definitely stayed with me as well.
1: Mm. I I think my I feel statement is is connected to that because what I wrote down was that I feel really moved by everyone's investment in this idea. And that starts with the guests who, as you said, stayed with us from anywhere between 45 minutes and two hours. Some of these people do not have 45 <laughs> minutes to two hours, <laughs> yeah. and yet they chose to invest their time in having these conversations. I would want to say to everyone, I feel really moved by my production team's investment in this project. You and Doug and Justin are all professionals in this medium and this is not exactly, you know, a money grab of an idea as some other podcasts are and repeatedly in our conversations and in the work you all are giving me an investment in these ideas that I is more than I could have ever asked for And I feel really moved by the audience's investment in the ideas. I've gotten so many emails and texts and ideas for who else we might want to talk to. And so many people saying, this is exactly the thing I need on a Monday to help me feel inspired and creative. And all of that is really moving for this nerd right
0: here. <laughs> well, thank you for for that little bit about us. And I'll just give some of the love back to say that Doug and Justin, oh Justin knew you. Doug, of course, didn't know you, and you hadn't done this podcasting thing. And Doug and I have have spoken often offline about our amazement at your ability to just I know this sounds so silly. Speak in complete sentences perfectly with all of the embedded ideas and themes and concepts and it wraps around and it just feels written. You're just this amazing extemporaneous writer in your head and it's been a thrill for us to be able to sit back and um, give you the space to do this. I'm glad we did it and and it doesn't sound like it's over. It's not over. It's It's not not, I'm not saying this like it's over. It's awesome. It's been awesome. There'll be more awesome to come.
1: I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> okay. Topic three, or yes. phrase three. What is something that you are wondering about as a result of our collective time together?
0: I wonder if people listening really believe that these fancy people really credit their teachers with this stuff because people often see celebrities, especially, as sort of fully formed right? They're this entity, this sort of machine that works. And I'm so interested. And most of the podcasts that I've done have been in talking to successful people and trying to break through all the talking points and trying to really get into process how they do what they do and what interests them and what makes them move. I do wonder when people hear this, they think, oh, he's just being nice to his teacher right? But but he's a, he's a great actor. What did he, he need to go to this class to go to learn to be an actor? I guess my hope, I'll throw in a hope along with the wonder is I hope people do believe it because these are all people who have benefited greatly from these mentors and continue to do so. And don't just talk about it here with us, talk about it offline, talk about it in their lives. And just the importance, Cecilia, if you're a person who Loves to watch artists, let that connect in your brain to you're also a person who loves teachers, even if you didn't realize that, because we needed to have those teachers to give us all these great artists that we have.
1: That is delightful. That's like an Amazon recommender. If you like (laughs) famous artists, you may also like thinking about your teachers. I wonder how these stories might be useful to all of us in leveraging. Educational change at a broader level. So, when we started this, I wanted to have this more public platform because I've been frustrated by how closed of a system academia is. You write a book, maybe some people read it in their class, some of your community of scholars reads it. If you're lucky, your mom also reads it. Your dad reads it, maybe. They have it on their shelf. But it doesn't get into the general discourse. It doesn't permeate how people understand what education is and can be. I see these stories, these packages of experience as a way to communicate to policymakers, to fundraisers, to organizational leaders, to families about how and why we ought to change the way we do access to arts education for all kids. My wondering to be continued over the next X number of years is whether we can make that happen. Mm. So last piece of our response sheet, we've done what do you notice, what do you feel, what do you wonder? And now we get a chance to say, what is something that you have been reminded of through this work?
0: I guess it reminds me of the Athenian Diner, which is the place that in Middletown, Connecticut, where me and my theater nerd friends would go in the middle of the night after doing some theater thing to talk about theater. You just don't really stop. I mean, a lot of it is sort of dishing about this, that, or the other thing. But we're all sort of just actually just talking about theater. Similarly, I I have a, a close circle of friends, many of whom, Erica, you grew up with and knew. And we do actually talk about this stuff. We talk about art. We talk about, in our case, it's storytelling and story structure. And what we think about this and our theory about that, it's my favorite kind of conversation. I'm a terrible small talker, I say, hi, and then I kind of walk away because I don't have the next thing to say. If we're not going to sit and talk about the theory of this, that, why does this artwork, it reminds me a little bit, I guess, of my favorite kinds of conversations. And so hearing it from this perspective, from people who have taken their work and, and been so successful with it, and the, the teachers who gave that to them, and hearing them talk about I would love to be able to talk to my old teachers, most of them are dead. So yeah, but I would I would like to be able to sit down and and chat with them. So it's nice to hear these folks doing it for me.
1: That is connected to my reminding, which is I have a very strong memory of when I was nine years old, ten years old. I was part of an organization that's still around, the National Dance Institute, which is a community arts dance program based in New York City that now has branches all over the country. It was founded by Jacques d'Amboise, former principal dancer of the New York City Ballet, and my first arts mentor, though I did not know what that was at the time. I didn't have words for it. And it's taken me till 46 years old to realize that many of the choices I've made as a professional, I've made because of Jacques, because of his commitment to using the arts as a bridge between formal education and the kinds of -of out-of-school opportunities that shape the lives of kids who have opportunities to invest in the arts. When I was nine years old, I did a lot of sitting under the piano. I did that because Jacques had pretty strict rules about how you could participate in dance. The strict rule went like this leave other people alone and stop talking to them. (laughs) I had a hard time with that rule. I still have a hard time with that rule. Now I get paid to be the person who doesn't leave other people alone and won't stop talking to them. So I spent a lot of my 9-year-old year year and maybe my 10-year-old year sitting under the piano and observing That was a really valuable experience for me because it gave me the chance to watch other kids dance and to notice who really could make that choreography sing. And those were people and bodies that were not like mine. And I would never have had that opportunity without spending my time seeing the practice from a different perspective. I don't know that Jacques necessarily intended that. In some ways, he did because the punishment could have been leave the room. If you can't stop talking and you can't leave other people alone, you have to leave the room. But it wasn't leave the room. Mm. And it also wasn't go sit with the parents, right? Mm -hmm. It was specifically sit under the piano. And the only thing there was to do when you sat under the piano was watch other young people dance. So this process has brought that memory back for me. Almost every single time I listen to pairs of mentors talk about how they inspire each other.
0: Hmm. What you say reminds me now of my, what I would call my mentor, uh, Bill Francisco, a teacher at Wesleyan. I would, there was no pianos to sit under. But the notion of just shutting up and watching, by far, The most valuable lesson that I got was in an acting class where after the two actors would get up and they would do a scene and we were allowed to give feedback. But woe to the person who said anything along the lines of, well, what I would have done or you should have done this. It was truly about, here's what I saw you do.
1: What you noticed, perhaps? What what I
0: noticed, what I felt, and what I wondered, right? Here's what I saw you do, and... Did you think about this? Or this could have told that same story. Really finding the story that someone else wants to tell and supporting that story rather than putting yourself on is the hardest thing to do. Who doesn't walk out of a movie and just go, that sucks, that was great.
1: Or a good job. <laughs>
0: or a good job. But actually seeing what someone meant to do, Roger Ebert was always sort of pilloried for loving, loving like these silly little kids movies. He's like, no, no. no. They were trying to make a silly kids' movie. It was a great version of that. And so, sitting under the piano and watching is the hardest thing to do, and maybe the most important.
1: Well, Alec, we're at 23 minutes and we haven't gotten to the questions yet. So, we might have to do a little editing down the road. No, 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 no.
0: <laughs> this is fine. I do have a question for you. Yes. Early on, we got an email from Janisa. She says she's a parent of a second grader listening from Hawaii. So hi, Janisa, who wrote an extraordinary letter, and I really wish I could read it all. It's it's wonderful, but the heart of her question, I think, is something that people have heard you speak about, but I think they might want you to speak about again. She says, my daughter told me at the end of first grade that her favorite class was art, but she barely ever got to do it because the art teacher always got pulled away to be the sub for other teachers. And when that happened, no one could have art class that week. This year, they have that time cut in half, making her already rare art classes only happen for 30 minutes twice a month, and that's if the art teacher isn't subbing. It breaks my heart, and I will say it again at every PTA meeting. I know we're not alone in the country with feeling that our district completely ignores the arts, treats those classes and teachers as unimportant extras for mere entertainment, and continually cut out the arts with preference for STEM and other academics. What is the secret to getting this kind of arts validation that your guests talk about and priority for the arts?
1: This is a remarkable question and sad in some ways that it's coming from the parent of a second grader because we sometimes see this happening more and more the older kids get in school. But to know already at second grade, that what we value in our students is their capacity to perform on reading tests and mathematics tests. I agree with Janisa. It is heartbreaking. I have two thoughts. One has to do with the ways in which, quote unquote, regular classroom teachers leverage arts integrated practices into the work that is expected of them. It's a little like the sneaky version of arts practice, which is to use some of the tools and techniques. So actually, what we were just doing is an arts-based practice, right? How to assess and evaluate learning without defaulting to the kinds of overly constraining and uninspiring testing practices that mark most understandings of what we mean when we say assessment. One idea is to work with classroom teachers, formal educators, to actively incorporate arts-based practices into their teaching. Steffi Rossi talked about that, right? We never once heard her mention the need for a specific space for art making. For her, the quote-unquote regular classroom was a space for art making. The other thing that I will say is education is a much broader term than school. And I know that we often equate those two terms. And when we hear the word education, what we mostly think is school. But so many of us participate and learn in opportunities that happen outside the bounds of school. And so another thing that I think and do a lot is work to value and leverage what happens in spaces outside of school to enrich kids' learning lives, to value the assets and the expertise that kids have in those spaces, and to try to bridge some of those experiences which typically don't talk to one another— but to try to think about ways that arts-based experiences that happen outside of school can make their way into school-based experiences, whether that's in the form of having a performance that happens during a school day or inviting in teaching artists who kids engage with in their lives outside of school into the classroom for some period of time. And a lot of school districts and classroom teachers and building principals have become really creative about how to connect up the work of educators who work outside of schools into their classroom space. Neither of those is a panacea of an answer, but I do think those two practices are actively happening, particularly in districts and schools where the policies and the funding priorities don't reflect the values that a lot of parents like Janissa, espouse.
0: And Erica won't say it, but do read her book, or maybe she will say Read it. my book. Read her book. I don't have to do this for her, and we've talked about it before, but it's very much not just about the arts practices themselves, though have no fear. It's They're very much about that and what, what she's talking about when she says arts practices, but also then, okay, now you know X, Y, and Z. How does that relate to an English class or a math class? And these things are not... They're not separate and apart simply because there is a vast chasm of difference between telling kids math and teaching kids math, right? There is math. There is information to be put across, but then there's that gap and how am I, I, I must cross it with teaching. I must cross it with education, and that might not just be telling people things and, and testing them on it. That might sound obvious to some people, but maybe not because that obviously is a traditional classroom.
1: This is a humongous equity issue because families and young people who are able to make the choice to participate in these experiences in their lives after school choose it. And they choose it regularly. And there's lots and lots and lots of surveys and data to suggest mm. that anyone who has resources and opportunities to do so chooses to participate in these kinds of experiences. And school as a public resource, is where all the kids are, which is great because there does exist a space where all kids, regardless of what resources and assets they have, get to be in a teaching and learning environment. And in order to approach the equity goals that we have for all kids, we have to find a way to make those experiences, I've I've used the phrase, all in instead of opt-in, Mm. and that's on us that's not on the kids that's not on their families that's on us to move the arts back in to the all in space
2: If you're a fan of Real Housewives, Summer House, Vanderpump Rules, or any other shows on Bravo, you know that being a Bravo fan is basically a full-time job. On the Mention It All podcast presented by Betches Media, I Dylan Hafer am keeping you up to date on all things Bravo. Plus, you'll get to hear some of your favorite Bravo celebrities and media personalities mention it all about what happens on and off camera. Search for Mention It All on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Going from your, your book and what you have been so passionate about, you came to me however long ago it was saying, well, you do these podcasty things and I, I, I do these teachery things. Should we do the podcast teachery thing together? What did you expect? What, what were some of the things that you're like, I think it's going to be this way. You know what the word expect means. What did you expect <laughs> um, from this?
1: I think the first thing I wrote down when you asked that question was, I expected to do a lot more talking. And what I mean by that is, I was not confident, and of course I should have been, that these pairs would know what to talk about. Mm. I expected to have to be more of a prompt, be more of a bridge, be more of an active participant. So that's something that I expected that I quickly learned was not true. And then the other thing that I think I expected was for mentorship to be a much more constrained idea. And I don't know if that's expected so much as assumed came in with the assumption that mentorship was like, you have a teacher and you have a former student, and those are the conversations we're going to have. And as we developed our guest list and our definition of mentorship became so much more expansive, I was fascinated by how these pairs talked about what mentorship is and had been for them.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You said, it's sort of occurring to me for the first time. I say that, you know, I have this mentor from college and this and that, sure, but I've definitely learned the most from my best friend, Joel, as we work together. There's no question that the stuff we talk about, the stuff we make together is where I've definitely learned most of the things that I do. I would not have called him that, and I'm not going to call him that to his face, but just between us here.
1: Well, now we'll know if he listens to the podcast.
0: <laughs> I guess we will. But it's freeing, right? It's freeing to think of more people can be your teachers, can be your mentors. Yeah.
1: And related to what we were just discussing, it's freeing to remind people that education isn't just school. Right. And so educators aren't just formal teachers. Right. And how can we all better understand the ecology of teaching and learning that shapes Our lives, but also shapes the lives of young people who we want to serve.
0: Right. Okay, so what did you learn? hope you learned something. I I did. Yeah.
1: I learned to make a new art form. Ah. And that was scary (laughs) and exciting and freeing. And I have not yet delved into podcasting as a way of making art. And I think I learned how to do that. I mean, you and I have talked a lot about how when I first would listen to our raw audio, I had no idea what I was listening for. And I needed you and others to say, eh, maybe listen to this. Well, what do you think about this? And then I learned to identify the moments in these Broader narratives that we wanted to highlight in order to lift up the key ideas that we heard in the conversations. Right. So that's exciting for me. I mean, I'm old. I don't know. You don't learn a lot <laughs> of new art forms when you're old. So
0: it's very exciting. Podcasting is, it has quickly become a joke. I have a podcast, right? That's, we, we sort of turned into that because of how many millions of them there are. But it is truly top five. Greatest things that have come from the internet's existence. It is an incredible art form. And I grew up in the 80s listening to old time radio from the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And so I was always into just audio stories. And that idea that that's the cool thing now ish, I guess, sort of, is great. But it's also, I mean, for, for those who don't know, you know, we record these things and they're incredibly highly edited. This podcast is anyway. Many podcasts are not, but many are. And what you're hearing is Justin Asher doing the the technical work of editing down the portions that we've all decided we don't want to have in there. Basically, stuff we want to take out and making it sound flawless and fluid and like one story that you're trying to tell. And it is such a beautiful little tiny little compact art form that we can just do here on our computers.
1: And let me say. For the record, I have not learned the technical components of the art form. No. So maybe if Justin and I have more patience down the road, I will also make the decision to no, be part of the it. technical aspect no, of the art form. Don't worry
0: about it. He's so good at it. <laughs>
1: he is.
0: Okay. So what do you want to dig into now? So we've we had some expectations, we learned some stuff. Not so much what's next, but like what are you curious about for season two?
1: Well, so two things I'm curious about. I'm curious about What you all want to hear more of. And something that's been interesting also about this art form, because I've mostly done live art and haven't really made work that then lives in the world that people can discover later. And so I'm noticing that people are coming to this and discovering it and then responding. And so as that's happening, I am curious to dig into what everyone wants to hear and wants to talk about. And then I will say something I really want to dig into more, which is also hopefully in the what's next pile, is I've become really interested in thinking about folks who we see as very successful in their careers that are not arts-based, but who claim arts and arts education as a part of their background. And to hear from them And to hear from their educators about those experiences and then ask them to reflect a little on how that's shaped the journey that they've taken beyond their arts practice. Mm. That is very interesting to me. And I also think can speak to a broader audience of ours because not everybody goes on to become Cecily Strong or Bill Strickland right? A lot of people go on to become attorneys and work in businesses. And it sounds like I only know two jobs. (laughs) Um, There's lots of jobs, optometrists. Yes,
0: that's another. That's that's the other one. You name them all. That's the third
1: job I know. Most people go on to that. And many of those people were artists as young people. That is inspiring, I think, to a whole other community who wants to value arts practice in their younger learning lives.
0: And then there's the weird world I live in in Los Angeles where, jokes aside, everyone is an artist and another thing. And that's anything from a barista to a optometrist. I guess those are the only two choices. But we do all live in this bubble. And so how does our work as artists affect our jobs that pay the bills sometimes a little better? And and in many cases, I'm sure it does. Erica, before I throw this, our last three things out at you, any final thoughts on season one and what we're going to be heading into in season two?
1: Well, a final thought on season one, which takes me into season two, is we have a lot more stories to tell. I don't feel like this journey is finished. We have been in conversation with a lot of really successful artists from across art forms who are interested in telling these stories and having these conversations. So I am super excited to do some more of the same and to introduce our listeners and also for us to get the chance to meet some of these artists and and hear from their mentors. I've also gotten some great suggestions from you all. I am excited to start going through those and thinking about whether and how we might be able to reach out to some of your mentors and some of the people who've inspired you I also have been in conversation with the folks from the Arizona Department of Education who have a really strong arts education group in their state offices who are interested in having us have these mini conversations between some of their arts educators of the year and the students who they work with. That is something I am super excited about because it moves a little bit away from the hey, this super fancy person who you've heard of who makes amazing art and their mentor to the real stuff of Arizona's best visual art teacher of the year and two teenagers who get to be inspired and trained and moved by this person's work. I'm really excited about that.
0: Yeah, and Dodger Spring Training is in Arizona, so I'm down. If we could schedule this for like February, March. I think
1: it might be possible. And then I, I mentioned this, but I am also really excited about identifying some folks who we know from their public lives to have been artists and active in art scenes as young people who are now very successful in other parts of their lives to hear from them about the role that art making has played in how they've become the people that they are. Amazing. All of that to come.
0: Looking forward to it. All right, Erica. All right. Justin, cue the music here. Three things. It is almost the holiday season, Erica. Your mentor, Jacques D'Amboise, who passed away not that long ago, still very important in your life. And I'd like to know what are three things you would like to give Jacques D'Amboise right now as a (gasps) gift?
1: A video compilation of all of the performance experiences that I had. One thing. A printed book of all of the apocryphal stories that he told us over the years of his experiences around the world.
0: Two things.
1: The opportunity to again walk the Appalachian Trail doing the Appalachian Trail Dance, which Jacques did one summer, I think in the 1990s.
0: Three amazing things.
1: Yes, Alec. As we gear up to start making season two, what are three ways... That our listeners can be involved with our show.
0: Well, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, anything to say at all, if you just want to say hi, write to us at contact at artseducatorspodcast.com. One. Also, please use our handy-dandy interview guide to talk to your own mentor about the ways that they've changed your life through the arts. And you can find out more about that at artseducatorspodcast.com slash contact. Two. Now, here's what we really want. We want to hear that interview with your mentor. So what we want you to do is send us your favorite two-minute clip of your interview with your mentor. We're going to do our best to include it in the show in season two. And to learn more about that, you can also go to artseducatorspodcast.com slash contact.
1: Three things. And if you want to spread the word, liking, subscribing, commenting, All the things on all the platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, help us out, spread the love. That's what I want for Christmas. Happy holidays, everyone. Safe New Year's. What a dream to be doing this work.
0: Arts Educators Save the World is hosted by Erica Rosenfeld-Halverson and produced and co-hosted by me, Alec Lev. Our executive producer is Doug Matica, and our audio producer is Justin Asher. We are also executive produced by the fantastic group at Story Pirate Studios, Lee Overtree, Benjamin Salka, and Amy Fiore. Original music is by Dan Lipton, and our artwork is by Lyra Evans. Check out our website, designed by Cole Locasio, at www.artseducatorspodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Arts Educators. Yes, somehow that wasn't taken yet. And on Instagram at Arts Educators Podcast. Write to us with your questions and comments at contact at artseducatorspodcast.com. And wherever you're listening, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps the show. We are proud to be sponsored in part by the Wallace Foundation, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and the Gibb Faculty Fellowship. Arts Educators Save the World was created by Erica Rosenfeld Halverson and Alec Lev.
2: If you're a fan of Real Housewives, Summer House, Vanderpump Rules, or any other shows on Bravo, you know that being a Bravo fan is basically a full-time job. On the Mention It All podcast, presented by Betches Media, I, Dylan Hafer, am keeping you up to date on all things Bravo. Plus, you'll get to hear some of your favorite Bravo celebrities and media personalities mention it all about what happens on and off camera. Search for Mention It All on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.